Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is January 20th, 2020, and it's so great to be back. Um, I was gone because I was in the middle of relocation. Uh, It's been a little bit crazy. I tried to get it done on the road, but it just wasn't working out for me at all. Um, I just wanted to say I'm really glad to be back live, though on um, my... um, podcasts, I would say, where I upload my show, I was able to provide to you shows from last year, same day, which were still relevant, believe it or not, which was pretty exciting. Now, I wanted to start off before we get into what's going on in the rally, uh, what's going on with the impeachment. I wanted to uh, have you guys listen to a fabulous report that uh, Millie Weaver from Millennial Millie put together. And it is everything we've been talking about in regards to Space Force and what the importance of it was. So we're going to start off with uh, taking a listen to this uh, for those of you that missed it or or didn't see it, uh, you're going to hear it here. Uh, it was an incredible piece put together that tells you exactly what President Trump is doing, how he's doing it, and why he's doing it, and what role Space Force plays. Because Space Force is one of the most important things I think the president has ever done to circumvent this coup. The shot will be heard worldwide tomorrow. You'll see. It's one. And you got to make sure, you know, when you're, when you've got enemies that have been running rampant for, uh, you know, so many decades, unbeknownst to many, because remember, socialism is communism, but you decide to have it, right? It is like a voluntary slavery. So they have been conditioning the public globally for this. Because they've learned over the years that coming down with an iron fist that the people will revolt. So instead, you make them feel like they really, really want to do it. So um, that is what he's up against right now. That is what our president is up against. That is the incredible feat uh, that he has taken on. And in the next four years, uh, the only thing he's going to be doing is ensuring that this never happens again uh, by way of uh, making sure that everything is done correctly and the implementations are put in correctly. Uh, many of you have lost sight saying, well, no arrests have happened. Everything takes time. This term was all foundations and they were fighting him every step of the way. And one notion, well, I'll mention it when Millie mentions it. Take a listen. Ignition, or did you miss it? Ignition, While New York was posturing with China and the European Union during the New Year's celebration, a major game change was about to take place, derailing something that has been in place for a very long time. Stage separation confirmed. And there is stage separation and second engine start. You can see that second engine on your right screen. The declassification of the NRO in 1999 revealed a back channel that gave the executive branch additional protections from potential coup operations stemming from the intelligence community. 
a hidden chain of command within the intelligence community and continuity of government structure at the president's disposal. 9-11 allowed a separate chain of command to set up, creating a more formidable deep state shadow government built around perpetual continuity of government national emergencies. We take the continuity of government issue very seriously. I have an obligation as the president, and my administration has an obligation to the American people to, put, to provide, uh, put measures in place that should somebody be successful in an attack in Washington, D.C., there's an ongoing government. Within this shadow government chain of command is the alternative command and control that is carrying out a coup against President Trump. Other agencies, some within the intelligence community, are part of a counter-coup operation. The deep state is aligned with globalization, the European Union, and certain other union deals with China, Russia, and the rest of the world. The counter-coup operation is protecting America First policies, seeing globalization as a threat to American sovereignty. Operatives like John Brennan work towards globalization by merging national interests into international interests, merging intelligence gathering from a national security interest into an international interest, outsourcing national intelligence to a privatized intelligence syndicate of overseas corporations. Insert Global Strategies Group. This shadow government would also have to have mechanisms, coups, assassinations, impeachments, etc. to protect itself in the event a real president gets elected and tries to eliminate or dismantle the deep state. For the president to get around the coup, for a counter coup to be successful, an alternative chain of command had to be set up. Notice Trump's staying in Mar-a-Lago? Notice the White House has been being redecorated? A little debugging, perhaps? And then there was this. Tension rods released and payload deploy confirmed. Oh yeah, the day before World War III was supposedly breaking out, Space Force launched a curious payload that coincidentally went directly over Ukraine, Turkey, and Iraq. Of all places, just hours before the Iranian missile attack launched. For President Trump to get around the deep state coup operation, he had to create Space Force, a public face to a more OG back channel designed to protect the interests of the United States and the President from the intelligence community, aka Swamp Creature number one. Not only was there a perceived versus actual situation versus a continuity of government alternative situation, but an even deeper than that magical situation. Several tells exist in the public that point this out. 17 intelligence agencies supposedly signed off on the 2016 Russia election interference story. We have 17, 17 intelligence agencies, civilian and military, who have all concluded that these espionage attacks, these cyber attacks, come from the highest levels of the Kremlin, and they are designed to influence our election. This turned out to be false, and the mainstream media had to issue retractions and fire people, remember?
As you know, the IC was a coordinated product from three agencies, CIA, NSA, and the FBI, not all 17 components of the intelligence community. Only the CIA, FBI, and NSA went along with this Russia election interference story. Just a note right there before I continue it. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I mentioned that it's those three intelligence agencies. FBI's not intelligence. Millie points that out, too. But also the NSA has no reporting. They are not allowed to do reports. They do not put reports together. The NSA does not put reports together Ever, ever, ever. So the question here is, that means it's only the CIA. So who are, if these three are considered agencies, the other 14? Are they non-U.S.? That is what you need to ask yourself. Not to forget, these same three agencies also went along with the false yellow cake excuse to go to war with Iraq. Remember that one? Saddam Hussein recently sought significant quantities of uranium from Africa. We know it was a danger. First, if there really was foreign interference in the election, then why didn't the Department of State's Bureau of Intelligence and Research provide a footnote? Second, why wasn't the Defense Intelligence Agency involved? Why wasn't the National Intelligence Council involved? All of these are signs that there was nothing there. By the way, the FBI is not an intelligence agency. They really are law enforcement, so only two intelligence agencies were actually involved in the Russia collusion story, the CIA and the NSA. If the Russia collusion story was real, there would have been footnotes from every intelligence agency involved. And since we don't have any footnotes, well, we know it's fake. But if it's fake, why didn't the other 15 intelligence agencies make public statements? Because they would have had to unmask themselves to do so. Most of these other agencies gather information only, not conduct law enforcement. So if the DOJ has its hands tied up or is corrupt, then all these guys can do is sit with their mouths shut, watching everything happen in slow motion with their top secret Q clearances caught in a wedge. Hence, Space Force. By creating an additional branch of the military, Trump now has remedy. And it sure has pissed off the establishment. Today, we will make history. When we walk down, when the managers walk down the hall, we will cross a threshold in history, delivering articles of impeachment against the President of the United States for abuse of power and obstruction of the House. I said the president has a New Year's resolution, a resolution to our Middle East problem. President Trump is a great dealmaker, by his own account and and many others. Let's, Let's work together to replace the JCPOA okay. and get the Trump deal instead. To set up a new back channel in the Middle East, the Trump administration had to remove the old ones that stood in the way, those that played a key role in laundering U.S. foreign aid, those that supplied weapons to proxies, terrorists, and militant groups, those that help Iran get around sanctions, and those that were a threat to U.S. personnel, allies, and assets. Then it started. 
uh, the internet intel group of Oracle. He commented, he said that this was something that he hadn't seen before, saying that this was arguably the largest ever event for Iran when it comes to internet dropping. There was an interesting internet blackout cutting off certain intelligence assets in the region from being able to use the internet. Cloudflare, they noted their own data and they said that it shut down progressively by service providers on November 16th. Usually, like, you know, me personally, I use WhatsApp or, you know, even Skype or some of these other apps like Viber, but all of these apps are not, you know, people can't access them right now. Forcing them to use satellite communications. Then the internet came back on with new security protocols set up, aka the deep state just got cut off from communication with local operations because some, you know what, was about to kick off. New Year's Eve, thousands of pro-Iran protesters stormed the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. The next day, Iraqi forces, along with U.S. Marines, worked together to secure the area and disperse the protest. On Thursday night, General Qasem Soleimani, a high-profile Iranian general, is killed by a U.S. airstrike at Baghdad International Airport. Soleimani led the Quds Force under Iran's Revolutionary Guard, which is widely believed to support terrorist groups. This is why the media, some Democrats, and some hawkish Republicans escalated the public response to the situation with hysteria, believing that either World War III was about to kick off as a result of Trump killing Soleimani or that the U.S. needed to retaliate militarily to Iran's missile attack. There will be a revenge. There will be a harsh revenge. But when and how and aimed at which targets? And the White House? We will respond. Amid the escalating tensions, the U.S. is deploying thousands more troops the deep state knew they were about to lose control of their assets in Iran and that Trump was setting up a new back channel that excluded their intelligence networks. Chuck Schumer aides tell me he didn't get a heads up about this before it happened, neither did other top leaders. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi condemned the president's actions. And all of this is unfolding in the middle of the debate over the president's impeachment trial in the Senate. The president wanted to distract from his impending impeachment with a military strike, taking out a quote-unquote bad guy in the Middle East. We're just getting reports now that a second wave of rocket, rocket attacks have been launched. We're just getting a statement from Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps saying that it, it has hit the U.S. Uh, Ain al-Assad air base in Iraq. He was saying that Ayatollah Khamenei, the supreme leader of this country, was in the control center coordinating these attacks. With what they described as tens of missiles, this according to Press TV, an urgent banner on Iranian television. 30 U.S. soldiers have been killed in this attack. Now, this is not confirmed. This is just coming from Iranian media. We could be on the brink of a major conflict across the Middle East. But we have just uh, stepped over the precipice, Chris. Uh, we have entered a very unpredictable time. We have to see what the response is going to be from the United States. This is wag the dog right in front of our faces, right? But then one of our really good sources got a hold of us and we watched the hysteria unfold on Twitter as something else magical appeared to happen in the background. Apparently these are old photos. Look at all these missiles that didn't detonate. Hmm. We happened to be watching live time the flight tracker in the area, noting that at the same time as the alleged missile attack, there was also a lot of air traffic along the Iranian-Iraqi border. What the heck? 
How could World War III be breaking out, missiles flying everywhere, U.S. troops being deployed, people dying everywhere? Meanwhile, international flights are unimpeded. Come on. We're just getting a statement from Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. Wag the dog much, CNN? Notice this big X marks the spot, no-go zone in the middle? Our attention was drawn to an aircraft that stood out. For the first time tonight, this. What appears to be the moment that 737 is hit by a missile. The American intelligence community is confident, a U.S. official confirms to ABC, that Iran turned on a radar aimed at the jetliner, which would guide anti-aircraft missiles from a mobile launcher. A U.S. satellite then captured the firing of two missiles at the 737, which was less than 5,000 feet off the ground. The warheads of those missiles would explode near the aircraft, blowing into bits of shrapnel that would pierce the aircraft in multiple locations. The evidence indicates that the plane was shot down by an Iranian surface-to-air missile. We were given a list of passengers aboard the aircraft. Our attention was drawn to several names of individuals who worked with a particular company, very similar to Global Strategies Group. In Tetix, outsourcing operations during political instability, current business climate in Ukraine, and beyond. Wow, based on this company's online profile, they were the perfect people for managing the kind of crisis that was unfolding and the kind of continued crisis, one that would have gone expected had the situation gone the way the media said it was. Oh wait, the plane they were on happened to be shot down by the IRGC. So I guess we will never know why so many Canadian, Ukrainian, Iranian dissidents, private intelligence assets, field operators, and contractors were fleeing on a flight to the Ukraine so quickly after a failed attempt by someone at escalating a war between Iran and the United States. I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd be hopping onto an aircraft, going to Ukraine of all places, fleeing a war zone right after missiles were being launched. Just saying. Unless you knew if you stuck around, they were likely going to find out that you were behind something nefarious and you needed to get out of Dodge. Right? I mean, if staying was worse than trying to flee, then maybe you'd want to flee during a missile launch. Needless to say, when the smoke cleared, the Iranians wanted to de-escalate and declared their retaliation over. A straight-up white flag for all intent and purposes. DEFCOM and other military command centers tweeted out to ignore the hysteria. Iran was no longer a threat and we were at DEFCOM level 5. It was as though the whole thing was a drill. And in a way, it was because it allowed us to see who the real fake news media was. This is wag the dog right in front of our faces, right? But it also served as cover while a new command and control system was set up. The way we found this out, we'll never tell anybody because it was magical and we're not going to compromise it. And the deep state shadow government was cut off from its biggest Middle East proxy, Iran. There's anger at the government on the streets in Tehran. Pockets of protest after Iran's military said it accidentally shot down a civilian plane. 
Remember, I'm listener supported, so please go to InfoWarsStore.com to support my work. Her work, exceptional, right, guys? I mean, how many people out there have heard it so eloquently put? I mean, we broke this down over days. Um, And that's more so so we can fully understand it. But she talked about global security solutions. Uh, We talked about so much uh, that she put in so nicely in that 15-minute video, which was incredible, right? Because it tells you that there is a plan. There is stuff going on that, you know you just don't realize is going on because mm, I wouldn't say we're not privy to it, but more so it's best that we don't know. Uh, kind of like it was best that we don't tell them that we're attacking Soleimani. Not saying that we, uh, the Patriots would actually turn on the president and go tell, but if you know, and I know, then they know. And that's the problem. And the other thing is, this is Space Force. It's not like it's something that they can intervene on. They can't fix this. They can't um, get away with it. They can't stop it. They cannot stop what's coming. And what is coming tonight, uh, tomorrow, is going to be pretty insane. You know, uh, as I've been saying for a long time, it's about time you know, we impeach 44. It is about time that we move along and see it for what it is. And that's a conspiracy against the people, a conspiracy against the free people of not only the United States, but this planet. And right now we have them uh, trying to find ways to remove him from his ability to be president because they know that if he stays, they all get locked up. And that is the problem. Uh, You know, they're changing the rules on impeachment. They're wanting to change things. I mean, bottom line is, and this is pretty interesting, you know, in court, when you go, you can file a complaint, a civil complaint or whatever complaint against someone for whatever reason you feel. Okay. But when it comes down to the judge deciding, he's going to decide, well, is there any relief, any claim for relief here? Like they have to prove that the president has caused us damage. They have to prove that he did something that caused us, the people, something. And at this point, he has done nothing of that sort. In fact, he's done directly the opposite. So you have to ask yourselves, are they willing to go in there and say that, um, you know, we lost money. He's exposing us. This is why he has to go. I doubt it. That's not what they're going to, they would never do that. But the, (laughs) the thing is maybe they might have to, because he's done nothing to harm the people of the United States. So how are they going to fly with this? How is this even going to happen? That's the thing. You know, we have so many people waking up right now. So many people standing up for what is right, for what is correct, for what seems to be a concerted effort to bring back the America the way it was intended. And so now we have, you know, a gun rights lobby uh, rally, um, 
you know, in Virginia, demanding our rights. We have people fighting for the First Amendment. I mean, the people are now coming together to say this is wrong. And, you know, all they're doing is painting this as a right wing issue. It's not. It's a United States of America issue. And remember, every single time a dictator was put in place, we're talking from all times in the past, the first thing they did was disarm their citizens. And the question you have to ask yourself is, why are they disarming us now so hard? I mean, they've been easy on it, easy on it. Let's do this. Let's do because now they have worry. Now is a time for them to worry because the only time that they will come for your guns is when they've done something or are acting in a way that will probably force the hand of the citizens to use it. So the responsible gun owners won't just use guns like that. We like to use our vote. And that's the problem. We've been using our vote now. We're actually going to have elections this year. And they are terrified because they can't fix the elections anymore. They can't use that card. We'll get to this right after the break. See you in a few. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So we were uh, covering, uh, well, entering into the topic of what's going on in Virginia. And what we have now is, you know, a lot of people out there. And, you know, this is just magical stuff, you guys. We are all united. We stand for the Constitution, unlike what the Democrats keep parroting. How many times have you heard Pelosi say, we stand for the Constitution? We stand for the Constitution. It's pretty bizarre. It's pretty bizarre how this is happening. Uh, you know, how uh, these... Um, Gun rights are being snatched away from the people. Uh, live right now is Millie Weaver at um, where Lieutenant Governor Justin, uh, Justin Fairfax has had two women come in, uh, come out with rape and sexual assault allegations with, uh, you know, that have come out against him, of course, as we know, right? Fairfax um, has been accused uh, by these women. Well, he's actually working really hard to take away the Second Amendment rights of the people of Virginia. This is where they want to come in and confiscate people's guns. And, you know... And she says it right. Guns rights are women's rights. Let's take a listen to that. There he is, Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, one of the Democrats that's trying to take away your gun rights. He's sitting there right now getting ready to do what he can to infringe upon the Second Amendment. And after this, in the hallway, if I get a chance, I'm going to see if I can ask him about some of the many rape and sexual assault allegations that have come out against him. Many women have come forward uh, about sexual assault and rape. So we're just going to ask him if any more new women have come forward with new sexual assault allegations or not. And why he thinks it's okay to infringe upon the Second Amendment. Which we all know, women need guns to protect themselves. Guns are the greatest equalizer for women. Gun rights are women's rights. So we're going to ask Justin Fairfax these questions if we get a chance in the hallway. 
there he is, Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, one of the Democrats that's trying to take... All right, guys, so that just played on looped accidentally. So that is what's happening right now live. It's going to be pretty interesting to see how this pans out. Uh, in the meantime, we have the media, mainstream media, um, offering panic nationwide about this whole um, scenario about people coming out. They're all right-wing activists. We're on high alert. We're checking everything out. I mean, the only thing you have to do is listen to Good Morning America right here. Take a listen to this. They really laid it on thick. It was like, can it get any thicker? Expected to attend a gun rights rally in Richmond Minus the guns. The governor is declaring a state of emergency there, which temporarily bans firearms and is citing credible threats of violence. Victor Okendo is on the scene for us. Good morning to you, Victor. Good morning, TJ. Things just starting to pick up now. This line, it is long. It stretches all the way down the block. A lot of these people have been here for more than two hours now. This leads right up to the one entrance point here at the state capitol, which just opened up. Everybody who goes inside will be screened. We are expecting thousands of gun rights advocates and some extremist groups protesting new proposed gun legislation. Local, state, and federal law enforcement are all involved. Ahead of this rally, seven alleged white supremacists with ties to the neo-Nazi group the base have been arrested. Authorities saying that at least three of them were planning on attending. Citing some credible threats, Virginia's governor declaring a temporary state of emergency and banning all weapons from the Capitol. You can see what that list of prohibited items looks like here. It is long and right at the top, firearms. Now, while none of these items are permitted on Capitol grounds, where we're standing just outside, technically, they are allowed. TJ? Victor, no doubt officials there have learned some security lessons from Charlottesville in 2017. Absolutely, TJ. There is a much larger police presence, a tighter perimeter. Communication between all agencies should be much better this time around. And, of course, that weapons ban is in place. TJ? All right, Victor Kendo. Weapons ban is in place. Well, here's where they say it's going to get really violent. And they show a few people ranting off. This is where it gets Juicy. Richmond, Virginia is on high alert this morning before a gun rights rally that local authorities fear could turn violent. The FBI and local law enforcement say they've received credible threats of violence. Organizers say tens of thousands of people, including white supremacist groups and militias, may gather in the former Confederate capital today where Democrats are proposing new gun laws. CBS This Morning lead national correspondent David Begno is in Richmond for us. David, good morning. Set the scene for us. Good morning. I would say there's about a thousand people already lined up along the perimeter of the Capitol. Uh, many of them are wearing stickers that say guns save lives across the street. A big banner with a picture of an assault rifle. Come and take it is what it says. As we walk the line here, there are actually people who have brought with them in the corner. We've seen several people who have their weapons with them. You can have weapons outside the Capitol. You just can't bring them inside because of an executive order that the governor instituted. There is a sign I want to show you that just went up of prohibited items along with firearms, knives, slingshots, metal uh, knuckles, blackjacks, all the way down. Pocket knives actually are permitted if they're less than three inches. Everyone has to go through these metal detectors. The gates just open and tens of thousands of people are expected. I will not compromise on the Second Amendment. Members of Virginia's Citizens Defense League, which organizes the annual gun rights rally, 
insists that their message is solely to protect the Second Amendment. Philip Van Cleve is the organization's president. What are you against? We're against any more gun control that affects everyday law-abiding citizens. We don't need any more gun control. We're not the problem. Ahead of today's event, seven members of the white nationalist group called The Base, which advocates for a race war to create a white ethno-state, were arrested across the country. Authorities say some of those people were expected to attend today's rally. State officials say they want to avoid another Charlottesville when a neo-Nazi rally in 2017 ended in the death of a counter-protester. We have the right to bear our arms. Michelle Wharton traveled from New York. She says she's here to support the Second Amendment. Our fears are, you know, that the skinheads and the um, neo-Nazi groups or, um, you know, white supremacists are going to come in here. Tensions have been rising since Democrats regained control of the state legislature and proposed several gun control bills, including limiting handgun purchases and requiring background checks. It all comes after a mass shooting in Virginia Beach that happened last summer, killing 12 people. An anti-gun rally was also planned for today, but that was canceled by organizers. Andrew Goddard became a gun safety lobbyist after his son survived the 2007 Virginia Tech shooting. Why would you take a, a gun violence survivor or their family or any, into an area where the, a, a state of emergency has been uh, declared? Mary McCord is legal director for Georgetown Law's Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection. The difficulty we have in situations like this is to be able to balance the protection of public safety with the preservation of First Amendment rights. It's uh, a blow to the First Amendment that um, gun safety advocates don't feel safe participating. I have to tell you, though, from everything we're seeing this morning, there's a very large police presence, a building presence of people who want to participate. But everything is very peaceful as of right now. By the way, the FAA has actually banned drones from flying anywhere in this area out of a fear that some of those drones may be weaponized. And, Gail, I got to tell you, one deterrent might be the weather. It feels like 17 degrees out here. Very cold this morning. Yeah, but people so committed and passionate on this. Yeah, they're committed and passionate because this is an innate right given to us, uh, freedom, uh, by the grace of God. And the right to bear arms is in order to ensure that we maintain, we maintain and that we remain free. That is basically how it works. It, it doesn't work any other way. That is how it works. So where do we go from here? We have them trying to take away guns. We have them moving forward to do all this. This is hard, you guys. This is very, very difficult for people to conceive and understand that we are at this point, just like the president said, that tipping point where things will change or not. That is how it is. So what we need to understand at the moment is that the war that is going on right now is very civilized. This is one of the most civilized civil wars in history. We are revolting as conscious adults, you know, properly. Uh, we are moving forward as we can and utilizing the legal means to do so. And the more they push and they aggravate, uh, which they are doing, it's really much done so they can agitate us, aggravate us, and force us to do 
more. That's what they're trying to do. It is evident. Uh, you know, you can see it. Every single thing they do is almost as if they're doing it on purpose. Now, one thing I wanted to say is, is that yesterday we had another launch. This launch was to see if a missile can be exploded in the atmosphere, um, in a way of not causing harm. It was the, the, it was a flight test, uh, that, um, SpaceX did. I thought that Elon Musk wasn't working with president Trump, but it looks like space force is using SpaceX. Well, Elon Musk stuff, um, to launch payloads, which is very, very interesting. So, uh, basically it was done to check if um, a test crew of Dragon's launch um, has escape capabilities. Uh, basically, there were no astronauts on there, but it was done so in an unlikely event if there was crew in the ship uh, on emergency of going up, how they would how they would escape, basically, and not so much. One would say, well, what does that have to do with the missile intercept? Well, that was uh, what the attempt was to see if um, using rockets um, to evade would work. I mean, it's we're moving along with Space Force, you guys, and, you know, no one's really getting it. Is it aliens or is it us that we have to worry about? And I think the us is the more uh, bigger issue because if there's extraterrestrials out there uh, that can um, travel here, I'm pretty sure we look really primitive because right now there's just a battle for power by those that are greedy by those that demand to enslave every man, woman, and child. Uh, that is their purpose. Uh, that is what they want. And uh, that is what they're fighting for. Law-abiding citizens have every right to maintain their freedom, every right to maintain their right to arms, and every right to say what they think. You know, right now, the Democrats have impeached the president in almost a shotgun wedding style with their own witnesses, but didn't want other witnesses. They didn't even attempt it. And like, they didn't want Bolton. They didn't want Pompeo. They didn't want them in the house. You guys, they didn't want them, but now they want them in the Senate, which is, wrong. It's like going backwards. You can't do that. The president was not allowed to participate. He wasn't allowed to have a lawyer at the house. They just did it themselves. They just did it themselves. And even if you're a lefty, right? And you don't like president Trump, you have to say, this is the United States of America. We don't do that. Everyone is entitled to a fair trial, even disgusting, horrific people. That is how it is. So where is the left who preach, oh, we're all about the Constitution. Well, where's your Constitution right now that you've defecated all over? You've changed policies. You've changed laws. And you're sending over articles of impeachment that make absolutely zero sense. They have no bearing. 
They can't stand on their own. And many would be like, well, Mitch McConnell can send them back and say, these are not good enough. We're not putting on a trial with this. This is rubbish. He could do that. He could also say that there's no, there's no relief, no claim for relief here. I mean, what is your bottom line? When you file something or you go to court, it's for something. You know, uh, having been on the receiving end, you know, you can't just file something because you don't like someone. Okay. You can't say, well, I don't like you, so I'm filing it. You have to have an angle. What's your angle? What is it that you want? That's the question. So what is it that they want? They just want to remove him because they don't like him, but they don't have anything that would put it together in a sense. So bizarre, right? It is. At almost as bizarre, almost, almost as bizarre as them putting their money on Amy Klobuchar. Where is Amy Klobuchar, by the way? You know, the one that has her father-in-law, is it her father-in-law, who's Rothschild's director of marketing? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Polad. Polad. There it is. Mr. Polad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She is in the Ukraine. She was put face first fronting person, the new Hillary Clinton. And now they're posing her as a centrist and trying to push her because Elizabeth Warren is too far gone. Uh, The big money lefties won't pay for her because they're going to be maimed money wise. And, uh, you know, they're trying to say, well, you know, maybe she'll just change her tune when she gets in and says, oh, yeah, it's not just like we can't like, um, you know, tax just Mark Zuckerberg and Mark Cuban and, you know, uh, all these other people that are super rich. Uh, We're going to tax the middle class because they have enough money and maybe. Maybe if we reduce the amount of money they have, they'll be, well, um, healthier. And then we have Amy Klobuchar that's coming from one of the most horrific states in the United States of America, and that's Minnesota, that has turned into like Somaliland and has turned into a Sharia law place and is no longer the way it used to. And I'm talking about the cities, right? Not the not the farm areas, not the far north, right? But everyone's like super far gone. It looks more... It reminds me visually more of like rural Germany, Hungary than it does um, Minnesota. I mean, you would never guess uh, it was the United States. You know, it was really funny. I wanted to say something. We were going through Minnesota and my daughter was like, oh, mom, you said you wanted to cut your hair. And in there, in in the hair salon, I think it was like a not a Tony and guy, but something like that. And she was like, look, they don't look that busy. Maybe you could do like a walk-in. And I was like, I don't know. And she goes, "Never mind, mom. And I said, why? Well, all of them were wearing hijabs and not only the hijabs, they had the whole burqa thing on. And she's like, you know, like what, what did, um, you know, with the little, like, just look through the eye. I want to say letterbox that, um, I did say letterbox, didn't I? Uh, That the British prime minister had said, and he got a lot of flack for it. But she was like, wait a minute. If they're covering their head all the time, don't they have flathead? I don't think they'll be good hairdressers. 
I was like, I don't think so either. Maybe they just cut for people that cover their heads all the time. Who knows? But yeah, that was really bizarre. Like, why would you go to someone to cut your hair that won't expose theirs? And and, and it's not trying to be racist, right? But think about it. If 24-7, aside from when you sleep, you're covering your head, you know, how is it that someone would entrust, you know, because I can't see what you look like. It's like when you go to the hairdresser, if my hairdresser looks crazy, like not crazy, like they always do with the like multicolor hair and the spiky short cut and they think they're cool or whatever. Right. And, and it's totally non-functional haircut. Not that, not the, I want to be modern look, but the really messed up one that have like crooked bangs, you know, hair all over the place. You're not going to go there and, you know, um, get your haircut. It's like someone coming to me, uh, you know, to give them a meal plan as a dietitian. Uh, I'm overweight. Uh, like you'd be like, girl, don't you take your own advice? Like, what's up? You're going to tell me how to eat, but you know, <laughs> your, your double digit sizes here. So, you know, what are you doing? You're not going to come to me for dietary advice. If my tush, you know, uh, can can land an airline on it, right? You're not, you're not. So why would you go to someone that doesn't do anything with their hair? Not saying they're not artistic, but sorry, man. Sounds sounds really bad, but that's, that's the way it is. Uh, no one's going to go to someone who does nails that has dirt under their nails, you know, super short, eaten out, right? That's the, that's the way it is. You see, and, and, and you, and, and you realize you're not going to eat at a restaurant where the chef won't even eat their food, right? That's the way it is. So this is how we are seeing America become. It's changing. It's no more Americana. It's no more U.S. citizens, American values first, hot dog, Cracker Jacks, uh, you know, and burgers. It's an tailgating, 4th of July, yeehaw guns, uh, nothing like that. Now it's, it's a wannabe European nation where everyone wants to be vanilla and can't say what they want to say because they're worried about offending the person next to them. And that's not the way life should be, especially in the United States of America. You shouldn't be worried about, um, you know, being attacked for wearing a hat on the street. You shouldn't be worried about telling someone, yeah, you know, so, um, I'm not going to come and eat at your restaurant. Uh, you know, like it's like going to a place owned by Muslims and ordering a pork chop. Why would you do that? They don't even handle pork. So if they're serving pork chops, you know, it's, it's garbage because they won't taste it. They don't care about it. They're not. They're not going to touch it. There's none, none, none. So why would you do that? I'm not saying that they shouldn't have halal restaurants, preferably. I'll just tell you straight out. When I go shopping, even though most of the meats are labeled halal now um, in um, major supermarkets, this is why I'm going now to the um, farmer's markets here that they have, uh, which I was really excited about because I bought myself fresh live swimming tilapia for two ninety nine a pound, right? How cool is that? Uh, but they, most of them are halal. It's actually... It actually um, Tastes, I, I honestly better than the regular stuff, right? The halal ones taste better than you know the regular beef that you'll get. It does taste better, does period. Um, the meat is more different, and I guess it's because you know they when they slaughter the animal, they let all the blood dry out, not dry out, like come out, you know, spill out. Kind of like when you hang your deer, right? You hang the deer, the meat's really good, uh, or whatever, because they let it, you know, just drain out 
Whereas, um, you know, regularly on farms when they slaughter cows or pigs, uh, they don't really care to drain out all the blood and leave them hanging for a day. Uh, they just slaughter them right up, straight up. They just start chopping and doing, and that's why we have those coagulated blood vessels in the meat, and it's a little bit different. But anyway, not saying we don't want halal, not saying we shouldn't have diversity, right? We should, but it shouldn't be superimposed. That's what I'm saying. I shouldn't have to go to every single restaurant and they'll be like, well, we're, you know, uh, this friendly. Like, it's like saying we're only serving kosher everywhere because we need to make sure that the Jews can eat only as well as everybody else. So everybody else has to eat what they eat. So everyone's happy. So it's not just the Muslims, right? Uh, or on Lent, how would you feel if you're not, you know, fasting and McDonald's says, all right, no, we're not doing any beef. It's all like shrimp and, and, and veggies because people are lenting. <laughs> and you're going to be like, well, that's okay. I'm not. I'd like a quarter pounder with cheese. And then they tell you, sorry, no. This is exactly what we're seeing now. Schools, public schools are now not going to be serving bacon and not serving pork chops, pork cutlets, whatever. They give kids ham because it's against Muslim religion. But I don't see us having done the same concessions, you know, for Jews that eat kosher. I'm just saying, like, I don't see that. Did you? I don't see that during the 40-day Lent for Easter that people do that. No, I don't. So why are we bowing down to this specific uh, group of persons? And I'll tell you why. Because it's not it's the non-Muslims that are weaponizing Islam, right? And this has been done before in history. Islam has been weaponized before. It has been weaponized so that way they can bring down kingdoms. And then when they weaponized it, they needed to stop it. And that's where the Spanish Inquisition started. That's basically how it happened. So here we have them weaponizing a religion. Again, if I was a Muslim, if I was practicing Islam, I'd be really pissed off. I'd be like, what are you doing? Why are you using my God and my religion as a weapon? It should not be a weapon because if any, any of these real Islamist terrorists believe that they're going to come in, convert everyone, and those sitting at the top like Pelosi and whatnot will let them do so, they got to be kidding. I mean, you know, fairy tales say that Muhammad's sitting on the other side of the moon. Who knows, right? 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 But <laughs> how... Do they think it's going to happen? I mean, they've been uh, weaponized before. They've been weaponized before and Spanish Inquisition happened. I mean, that's how it goes. I'll see you guys right after this break. Well, we'll talk more about just the impeachment. I expect that the House managers will go forward uh, probably for the better part of two days, and then uh, the president's uh, defense team will have the case for an equal amount of time to present uh, their case, essentially by way of opening. And then I imagine that, you know, what the country is interested in finding out thereafter uh, will be whether or not uh, there will be witnesses in this case. Mm -hmm. Look, my job, the president's job is to be president. That's why he's doing what he's doing. 
Uh, our, our job as part of the president's defense team is to show why and how the House managers do not have a case. Mm -hmm. And also, I think in part, that will reveal why we don't think that uh, witnesses are appropriate and that the, the Senate can proceed to the task ultimately uh, uh, and in the, in the country's best interest and the president's interest uh, that a judgment of acquittal is appropriate here. Robert, we've already seen a sneak peek of the arguments of both sides. Uh, the president's legal team releasing a seven-page document, those House Democrats that walked across from the House to the Senate, in a 111-page opening a trial briefing. Here's a portion of, how, of the kind of argument they're going to make. They said the Constitution provides a remedy when the president commits such serious abuses of his office, impeachment and removal. The Senate must use that remedy now to safeguard the 2020 U.S. election protect our constitutional form of government, and get this, eliminate the threat that the president poses to America's national security. Mm. Uh, how do you respond to the argument that this is about eliminating the threat of the president? The argument by the House managers is consistent with what uh, was done in the House of Representatives, and it is typically overstated. Uh, the fact remains, though, and this will be the argument from uh, the president's defense team, that uh, there, this is an impeachment that is fundamentally and constitutionally flawed. Never in our history have, has there been an impeachment of a president without an, even an allegation that a crime was committed, and that under the circumstances, given that, uh, that is untethered to the foundational principles that uh, come from uh, the Constitution itself. And, you know, to drift away from that uh, is essentially an effort and a partisan one at that to uh, attempt to remove a duly elected president. I mean, what are they saying to over 60 million Americans who voted for President Trump in the last election? Mm -hmm. uh, it is only under very exceptional circumstances that a president should be removed. That's the founder's intent. And it can only be done uh, under the Constitution and the Senate if there's a two-thirds supermajority, which necessarily means that it uh, is, is bipartisan. And since this effort is entirely partisan, it is flawed from the beginning. So, Robert, we are following this. We keep hearing the Democrats want all these witnesses called, but Republicans like Lindsey Graham is saying, we want this to be very quick. We don't want this to drag on for a long time. We're hearing uh, the phrase kill switch being thrown out there. Is there anything that you can do just to make sure that if, if that you, the president gets his way, that Republicans can push this thing quickly through? Look, I, I think you heard from the minority leader, Chuck Schumer, about the efforts that will be made and perhaps early on to force votes, uh, I think presumably in order to put various center, senators, uh, particularly those up for re-election, yeah. in a difficult position and to have to cast votes. But at the end of the day, the majority leader, Mitch McConnell, uh, and his Republican colleagues uh, determine what the rules of this proceeding, what the rules of the road will be. I think you will see that unfold uh, tomorrow, and those rules will provide fairness to both sides. You haven't heard from the president's defense team yet. That is shortly going to take place as, or as soon as and as early as this week. Right. And I think once both sides have an opportunity in fairness to present their best case as to how to proceed, I think it's appropriate then for the Senate, and only then, uh, to take up the question about how long this trial will go. Our position will be that it does not need to be a lengthy proceeding with witnesses if 
a determination can be made by the Senate that what is alleged here, and there are not crimes alleged, are not sufficient, even if shown, to remove the president from office. Well, Robert, you know that this has been a long and winding road. Uh, there are two artis- articles of impeachment, abuse of Congress, uh, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. But along the way, there, there have been a lot of suggested crimes uh, that are not in these articles. Listen to this. The devastating testimony corroborated evidence of bribery. It goes right to the heart of the issue of bribery. You can call this extortion, call it bribery. It's all the same thing. There might even be bribery. Yes, there was definitely a quid pro quo. That a quid pro quo existed. Is attempted extortion and bribery. So what do you make <laughs> of uh, the many attempts at impeachment? Now they've settled on these two. If it was so overwhelming, Steve then why wasn't uh, an article included that alleged just what you heard them say? Yeah. In other words, if, if it was so overwhelming and this was such a pressing danger to the country, first, how come bribery, extortion, obstruction of justice, an illegal foreign campaign contribution, or any of those crimes which arguably would constitute high crimes and misdemeanors, why weren't they alleged? And... The suggesting further, as the Speaker has and the House Democrats, that this was so pressing along the way mm-hmm. that it warranted the immediate removal of the President from office. How come the, uh, the Speaker of the House of Representatives held on to these articles and held them hostage for a period of an ent- almost an entire month? Yeah, Robert, it's because they've jumped from argument to argument. It's almost like they, they know who their criminal is. They just have to find the crime. So they found the best poll-tested argument throughout. Now We we're didn't hearing- even include Russian collusion. Yeah, sure. that wasn't even in there. Uh, and this is not going to allow, be allowed to be pinned the tail on the impeachment. Well, that's donkey. what they're trying to do. <laughs> but the latest one is, Robert, is we got to have witnesses. And you mentioned a little bit in your first answer, but witnesses, it's going to be unfair in the Senate if we don't hear from everyone uh, what, how are you guys going to answer that charge? I, I, I'm guessing a lot of it has to do with maybe how things were conducted in the House. It's the president's right under the Sixth Amendment to have witnesses, not the other way around. There's no right for the House managers to have witnesses. Look, it's a trial. It's an opportunity for fairness, finally, and for both sides to present. If the Senate decides that it needs witnesses in order to resolve something, then that's an entirely appropriate step for the Senate and their discretion to make. Mm -hmm. But if, on the other hand, this is the type of impeachment, an entirely partisan effort, that ultimately doesn't have basis or foundation, what need would there be of witnesses? And if the Senate can make that judgment without witnesses, they're entirely permitted to do that. Mm -hmm. That's our job, to present that case, and that case will be presented later this week and we- tomorrow it'll be boom it'll be out there it'll be so loud it's ridiculous so you have to wonder why this um you know right to bear arms rally was done today it was a very um abs- mm, odd timing odd odd timing and you know what it's really odd What's odd is, is that they want him to give the State of the Union address. What's odd is, is that they want to ensure that um, the president of the United States supposedly uh, doesn't get a trial, right? Doesn't get a trial. And it's odd that they're demanding witnesses when they don't have the right to it. So it's really, really bizarre, 
right? Bizarre. Lawsuits, filings, trials. Speaking of lawsuits, you know, the one where, you know, they kind of wanted to drag me in and I got Obama's lead attorney on and how I told him, yeah, you want me to? Well, I don't have anything, but I could tell you a bunch. Mm, They haven't bothered me ever since. And, you know, just thinking, you know, if every single other journalist operated in the same manner, this would have been way gone because I know they're intimidating, you know, when they come in and they're big lawyers, I guess I got a little bit of um, thicker skin on that end, having one of the biggest, you know, attorneys in uh, my former state uh, on top of me. Uh, you know, you kind of, you're like, you're just throwing, uh, you're just throwing stuff to see what would stick. It's kind of like pin the tail on Tory. <laughs> so that is basically, uh, what he was trying. And this is what they were. They were more fishing for their, uh, clients that are criminals, uh, more than anything. But none of the other journalists knew that. Uh, they couldn't understand that. Um, and it was something that wasn't known at the time, uh, you know, uh, in all fairness. But this is how they operate. They use the court systems. They use the laws and they bend them and, and make them yield to them uh, it, to satisfy their nefarious needs and wants. That is how they operate. It's horrific. Think about it, how horrible that is, that you have people that are in office, that have been elected into office, that act in such a manner that would do such things as manipulate our systems for it. It's so bizarre. It's strange, isn't it? It, What's stranger is, is that this has been allowed to happen. And what's even stranger is that we have this guy asking for witnesses. And you have to think, why are you asking for witnesses, Lindsay? This is not what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, We don't need witnesses. We need this stopped before it even begins. And this is where we're going to see the votes. This is where we're going to see people move on. And we're going to see where our senators stand and who (laughs) will be reelected. Because if push comes to shove, I see people taking the streets. You think the gun rally is one thing? Time, 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 time tells different tales. Specifically that of situations like this. Senator Lindsey Graham, one of President Trump's closest allies and the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator, welcome back to Fox News Sunday. Thank you. Uh, The Democratic House managers, the prosecutors, filed their trial brief last night, and they said that the president is trying to put himself above the law. Here is their key quote. That is what President Trump has attempted to do and why President Trump's conduct is the framers' worst nightmare. Your response, sir. Well, as to obstruction of justice, the president tried to exercise executive privilege. He said to the House, who was trying to impeach him, in 48 days, From the time they authorized impeachment until they voted on the articles was 48 days. It's the first impeachment in modern history without outside counsel. It was a partisan railroad job. And one of the reasons he's being impeached is that they had to do it in such a hurry that he could not exercise executive privilege. Now, I've got a quote from Senator Schumer I won't read today, but I'll I'll let it out tomorrow, saying that any president has the right to defend the office. And Article 2, obstruction of, uh, of Congress, 
is about the president saying, I want to go to court to exercise executive privilege over documents and witnesses. Instead of allowing him to do that, they impeached him for obstructing Congress. They tried to put Trump below the law. Abuse of power is so poorly defined here. I don't know how presidents in the future can conform their conduct. It's the first impeachment in history where there, there's no allegation of a crime by the president. You have been very clear over the last few months where you stand on this case. Here are a few right. of your of your clips. This is un-American at its core. What the House of Representatives is doing is a process of political revenge. I think this is a bunch of BS. This thing will come to the Senate and it will die quickly. And I will do everything I can to make it die quickly. All right, let's talk about that die quickly. First of all, counting votes. Have you given up on the idea that the Senate Republican majority is going to vote to dismiss this case right away on Tuesday? Is that dead for practical purposes? Yeah, that's dead for practical purposes. Uh, uh, there are a lot of senators who I think will wind up acquitting the president, believe, but believe that we need to hear the House's case. The, the president's case, answer to the House's case, and ask questions, and then that's when the witness request will be. So the idea of dismissing the case early on is not going to happen. We don't have the votes for that, so we'll play it out along the Clinton model. All right. You say then, the next big issue, you say that there is no need to hear from witnesses in this trial. But, sir, that directly contradicts what you said as a Republican House impeach impeachment manager mm -hmm. in 1999 <clears throat> during the Clinton impeachment trial. Let me put up a quote from then. You said, there may be some conflict that has to be resolved by presenting live witnesses. That's what happens every day in court. And I think the Senate can stand that. Question, why were right. witnesses okay then but they're over the line now. Well, the people being uh, asked for by Senator Schumer are the Secretary of the State, uh, the Chief Staff to the President of the United States, the National Security Advisor to the President of the United States, and the Acting OMB Director. All these witnesses were available to the House. The President has said he would claim executive privilege. Here's what's happened. In the House, they did this in 48 days. They never allowed the president to exercise executive privilege. And when he suggested he might, they impeached him for obstructing Congress. Now, I'd like you to ask Mr. Jeffries, Jeffries the following. What are we supposed to do in the Senate regarding executive privilege? If it's going to be invoked, who, who determines whether or not the privilege applies? Clearly, to me, any president would ask for executive privilege regarding these witnesses. And if they were that important, why didn't you call them in the House? Do you need them to make your case? The people called by the Senate were Blumenthal, Vernon Jordan, and Monica Lewinsky. Blumenthal exerted executive privilege, but that was litigated in in the House, and the court ruled against Blumenthal. What they're doing here is they've got a railroad job in the House, and they're trying to fix it in the Senate, and I'm not going to be part of that. Okay, let me, let me ask you about this question of executive privilege, because you're quite right. President Trump has said if the Senate tries to call Chief mm -hmm. of Staff Mulvaney or former National Security Advisor uh, John Bolton, that he will assert executive privilege, and you've indicated you'll support him. Take a look. I'm not going to defy executive privilege. The president said he would invoke executive privilege. I hope no Republican will destroy executive privilege. 
But in the 1974 case of the United States v. Nixon during the height of Watergate, the Supreme Court ruled unanimously on the Nixon tapes. And here was the key quote from the court. The generalized assertion of privilege must yield to the demonstrated specific need for evidence in a pending criminal trial. So isn't the precedent, the legal precedent about executive privilege that it must yield to the need for evidence. And there is evidence that John Bolton, for instance, could give that it was impossible to get any other way. Isn't the precedent clear that he cannot invoke executive privilege to prevent John Bolton from testifying? No, he can't invoke executive privilege. There's a Supreme Court case that says when you deal with national security issues, the privilege of the president is at its highest. The president has never had a chance to invoke executive privilege regarding John Bolton or anybody else. They're asking the Senate now to destroy that privilege. Uh, you have a Supreme Court case on executive privilege because it went to court. And here's what Schumer said in 1998. To suggest that any subject of an investigation must less the president with obligations to the institution of the presidency is abusing power and interfering with an investigation by making legitimate legal claims, using due process, and assert, asserting constitutional rights uh, is, is beyond serious consideration. They literally impeached President Trump because he wanted to exercise executive privilege. They said, no, that is obstructing Congress. This privilege uh, attaching to Bolton has never been to court, and at a minimum, it should go to court. Well, I, I guess I just not, I don't want to get too much into the weeds here and litigate this, but there's two points. One, in the Nixon tapes case in 1974, the court said the assertion of executive privilege must yield to evidence in a criminal case, and the president is being tried in a criminal case. And the, in an, this is me, not me, a criminal. There, there's no crime unless you. Well, it's, it, it, he's being tried for high crimes and misdemeanors. You can argue that it doesn't okay. rise to that, but that's, that's, what the, that's what the trial's all about. And secondly, it, the Supreme Court has also ruled that when it comes to deciding whether or not uh, the executive privilege, it doesn't, it's not going to go to the court because there was a case involving a judge named Judge Walter Nixon in which the, the court basically said, you know what, we're not going to weigh in. When the Senate is involved in an impeachment trial, their word stands. So the point you're trying to make here is that we've got a Supreme Court case that was litigated after Nixon invoked executive privilege. The president has never been able to go to court because they wouldn't let him. I'm not going to le legitimize a House impeachment process that calls the secretary of state, the chief of staff and the national security advisor of any president and deny them their day in court to protect those essential national security advisors, come to the Senate and destroy the privilege because it could never be used in the House. The bottom line here is if these people were that important to the case, they should have called them in the House. Uh, executive privilege was raised by Clinton. He went to court and he lost. You're trying to get the Senate to legitimize what I think is a political railroad job. I'm going to vote to honor the privilege. And if the privilege is to be decided by the United States Senate, I hope we will all honor the privilege because here's the way to destroy it. You impeach a president. You don't let him exert executive privilege in the House. You deny, deny him or her their day in court. You come to the Senate and you strip it away. You've destroyed executive privilege through the impeachment process. That would really make the presidency far less effective and would hurt the constitutional balance of power. And that's exactly what they're trying to get us to do. Listen to Schumer 98, if you don't believe me.
Uh, let's get out of law and let's get back to politics. Okay. <laughs> because. Yeah, we should get back to politics because the thing is, it's kind of uh, meshing with law. The judicial arm of the United States is flawed, right? It's not working. It's compromised. And it's causing all Americans great heartache. Now, Lindsey Graham wants the trial. The president wanted to be able to exercise his executive privilege that is his right by our constitution. He has that right. Yet they would not let him. They would not allow him. And the thing is, they said it themselves. It's not about proof. It's about the allegations. I'm sorry. So I'm going to allege that you're a rapist. It's not about proof. It's about me alleging that. And that's what counts. See, this is what I said. This is Facebook court, right? Where you see people start talking about other people like they know them, that they know their crimes. They all have a law degree from Zuckerberg International. And they sit there and they chime in. This is exactly what we're seeing. This is why we had gossip girl type, you know, witnesses at the house. They Witnesses that witnessed absolutely nothing. It was all hearsay. All of them fired. All of them butthurt. All of them. Every single one of them. And we're supposed to sit here and allow this clown show to happen. No, Lindsay, we need to put the brakes on. You could sit there and, you know, spread all this legalese. But, you know, it's down to the facts and the proof is in the pudding. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So we're going to finish up listening to some other things Lindsey Graham's telling us. But I also want you guys to do me a favor in your spare time. You know, when you're when you got five minutes to yourself in the phone, wherever you might be, pull it out and just look at a video of Lindsey Graham talking in 2018 and one today. He looks a lot younger um, now doesn't look like he had a facelift. Um, I just thought that was an observation I should share. Uh, looks like a totally different Lindsey Graham from the face down to the teeth. Take a listen. Because more and more of your Republican colleagues are saying, not committing to it, we put five up here on the screen, that they're at least yeah. open to the possibility of witnesses. Now, the Democrats, if right, they hold right. firm, would need only four GOP senators to come over to their side so they'd be able to call witnesses. Your best guess as a vote counter, will the Senate end up calling witnesses? If we call one witness, we're going to call all the witnesses. There's not going to be a process where the Democrats get their witnesses and the president gets shut out. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to vote against calling the four witnesses requested by uh, Senator Schumer. They're all covered by executive privilege. They're part of the national security team of the president. They could have been called in the House. They chose not to. Apparently, they don't need them to make their case. Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and the whistleblower, we can look at those allegations of misconduct outside of impeachment. I want this trial to get over with as quick as possible. I want the people of the United States to pick the next president, not a court of impeachment. And I'd like to be spending my time working on prescription drugs and national security issues instead I, of this. Okay, I got you know, two more. I got two let more. Let me just say one thing. Okay, I'm sorry. Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
Oh, I just got two more quick questions to ask you, and we'll try okay. to get through this as quickly as possible. You talk, <laughs> okay. about, you talk about wanting to get through this, the, the, the trial, as quickly as possible. There are reports yeah. that Republican Senate Leader McConnell is going to put out a rule on Tuesday that for the opening arguments, 24 hours for each side, he's prepared to put the Senate in session 12 hours a day. So basically the House prosecutors would get two 12-hour days and the, uh, the defense would get two 12-hour days to make their opening arguments. One, is that true? And two, if it is, how do you respond to the Democratic impeachment managers who say this is just a rush to get this over with? Well, to my friends on the Democratic side, you know, I like Nancy Pelosi. I've known her for years, and I think she is a very religious person. But when it comes to Donald Trump, Nancy Pelosi may pray for him privately, but she's orchestrated the church of holy hell. From the time Trump has been sworn in to now, it's been one thing after another. Here's what I'd say to the House folks. You took 48 days to impeach this president. You did not allow him to call any witnesses. He could not have a lawyer present during the House Intel Committee. This has been a partisan railroad job, and you're asking for fairness in Senate. You violated every norm of what we do. It took five years for Starr to look at Clinton. Uh, Mueller looked at... Uh, Trump for almost two years, and you took 48 days. So here's what I would say. The sooner this is over, the better for the country. We can get back to do the business of the American people uh, and do things that really matter to them. I've, I've, seen, I've been very consistent. I supported Mueller. I trusted him to be fair. This has been a political hit job. This is political revenge. And what they're doing to the presidency is a danger to the institution itself. And finally, in 30 seconds, I think it's fair to say that you are the senator who is personally <laughs> closest to President Trump. And at various points, you've said that he's That's mad as hell. That. He's demanding his day in court. I assume you've spoken to him recently. What's his mood? How does he feel about the fact that he's about to undergo a trial for removal in the Senate? And what does he want from the Senate? I think he wants to have a chance to, to have his day in court that he did get in the House. It'd be nice to have a lawyer present. It'd be nice to request witnesses. I guarantee you, he'll get a better deal in the House uh, than Senate did in the House. But his mood is to go to the State of the Union with this behind him and talk about what he wants to do for the next rest of 2020 and what he wants to do for the next four years. He is very much comfortable with the idea this is going to turn out well for him. He believes politically this has helped him. He thinks it's a threat to the presidency. The one thing he talks to me constantly about is what does the next president do after this if this is successful? He does not want to legitimize attack on the presidency. And that's my number one goal is to do this trial in a fashion that no House Republican or Democrat ever again will do what this House did. So he speaks a good game, talks a good game, but is he really saying the right things? Because he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. It's not... About proof, they say. It's about allegations. That's not the way it works. That's not the way it's supposed to go. And what has happened in the past is no longer valid now. What is going on in the future is no longer valid, uh, you know, now or in the future. Like what they're doing now is setting precedent, but they really don't care because the next person that they want to elect is their own. And it'll be one of the last that we will have um 
to seem like an actual election. That's that's basically what's happening, you guys. They've taken away all our rights. They've taken away our ability to speak, our ability to vote. That's how we speak, through our vote. They had taken that away, and now that we've reclaimed it, they've come back with a vengeance to take it away from us, with a vengeance. They are relentless to remove that president because of the good that he is doing. That is what they are doing. And it's so sad to see so many, so many people on board with this. This is going to show you who really is a true America first elected person. This is where you're going to see you know, from the way they, they vote into how this moves. I want you guys to listen to Hakeem Jeffries. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is, this is exceptional. And I don't know if you guys missed it, but you know, I always play the really good pieces. Here we go. Joining us now from New York, a member of that team, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. And welcome back to Fox News Sunday. He's part of the impeach. He's the impeachment manager, Hakeem Jeffries. Good morning, Chris. The White House defense team last night sent out their responses to the articles of impeachment, uh, calling impeachment a dangerous attack on the right of the American people to freely choose their president. This is a brazen and unlawful attempt to overturn the results of the 2016 election and interfere with the 2020 election now just months away. They say Democrats have been trying to impeach and remove this president since the day he took office. Our case is simple. Uh, The facts are uncontested and the evidence is overwhelming. Donald Trump pressured a foreign government to target an American citizen for political and personal gain and withheld $391 million in military aid from a vulnerable Ukraine without justification as part of his effort to solicit foreign interference in the 2020 election. That is a corrupt abuse of power, and that is precisely why we are here right now getting ready to proceed with a Senate trial. Let's talk about uh, the trial. As we talk, and we're now just a little over 48 hours from when the trial will actually start with motions on Tuesday, do you, the Senate impeachment managers, do you know what the rules of this trial are going to be that you're going to have to operate under? And secondly, uh, what about this talk that uh, Senator McConnell is going to put out a rule that you have two days, 24 hours, uh, basically two 12-hour sessions to deliver your opening arguments. Do you have any problem with that? Well, we do not know what the rules are going to be at this moment. We certainly look forward to uh, being able to review the resolution. The most important thing is that the American people deserve a fair trial. The Constitution deserves a fair trial. Our democracy deserves a fair trial. And we believe that a fair trial involves witnesses, uh, it involves evidence. It involves documents. Hold on a second. So first he said that the impeachment is because he withheld money. The, what is that called? Extortion, right? Or bribery, etc. But none of the articles of impeachment have that. So he's talking about it, but it's not in the articles of impeachment. And here we go with the whole Constitution thing again, right? Uh, we intend to present that to the American people. Uh, we're going to proceed in a serious, solemn and sober fashion, as we've done in the House 
now as we transition to the Senate, we need to just follow the facts, apply the law, be guided by the Constitution, present the truth to the American people as it relates to the solicitation of foreign interference in the 2020 election. The senators are going to have to decide, the American people are going to have to decide, is that the right thing for a president to do? Should we protect the corruption of our democracy. Okay, but to answer my specific question, there is talk, and it appears that it's informed talk that McConnell is going to say, you got two days. You have 24 hours, but you got two days, and we'll keep the, the uh, Senate in session from one in the uh, afternoon to one in the morning. Are you okay with that? Well, again, uh, I don't want to speculate as it relates to what the resolution may look like because Senator McConnell hasn't presented that resolution, and ultimately, uh, the decision will be made by the 100 senators, all of whom have sworn an oath to be impartial. We certainly hope that they conduct themselves in that fashion. We have a very strong case to present. There were 17 different witnesses who testified in the House proceeding, 12 of whom testified. Witnesses that witnessed nothing. Publicly. Many of them were Trump appointees, individuals like Ambassador Sondland, right. who gave a million dollars, of course, to Trump's inauguration, who testified under oath that this was a quid pro quo. But here's what I think a lot of people find curious, that your team in your opening arguments is basically going to be making two arguments that are completely contradictory. One, you have an overwhelming case. You have, the case that you have built is sufficient that the president should be removed from office. But two, we need to call more witnesses. Don't those contradict each other? Uh, they don't. Uh, there's a strong case that was developed in the House. But as was uh, the situation in the Clinton impeachment, as Senator Graham just acknowledged, uh, there were three additional witnesses, including Monica Lewinsky, who was at the center of the impeachment in 1998, who did not testify before the House proceedings, but was called to be present as it relates to what took place in the Senate. And if Senator McConnell is saying that we're going to follow the Clinton model, then let's just follow the Clinton model. What about the argument that we heard from uh, Senator Graham in the previous segment? Why should the Senate take the time and go to the trouble to litigate whether or not they can hear from witnesses like former National Security Advisor John Bolton when the House could have done it and you decided that you were in too much of a rush to do that? Well, we proceeded expeditiously because, you know, Trump's abuse of power, his pressuring of a foreign government in this instance for his own personal political gain related to an urgent matter of national security. You know, the notion of withholding $391 million that was allocated in well, well, a bipartisan wait, wait. You can't basis. Have it, but again, you can't have it two, both ways, Congress. When you say it was an urgent matter, it was a threat, and then Nancy Pelosi waited a month to even hand over the articles of impeachment. Yeah, I'm glad you raised that because there's two parts to this process. There is the impeachment process, and then, of course, there's the removal trial that takes place in the Senate. And Speaker Pelosi's decision, which was the right one, to temporarily, for a short period of time, hold those articles of impeachment, have created the space for us to have a discussion about a fair trial. And in that space, what we've seen is John Bolton has come forward to say he's willing to testify before the Senate. Lev Parnas has come forward to say he's willing to testify before the Senate. We've acquired additional information in terms of correspondence between the Office of Management and Budget and the Department of Defense, which says that the president was the one who directed the aid be withheld from Ukraine. We've had five Republican senators say that a fair trial should involve 
hearing from witnesses. And we've also seen that the nonpartisan government accountability office has concluded right. that the White House broke the law. That's additional information that I would think senators who believe in a fair trial would want to hear. You heard Lindsey Graham before say, look, he doesn't want witnesses, but he says if we're going to have witnesses and a number of other Republicans are saying this, there should be reciprocity. If Democrats get to call witnesses, then Republicans get to call witnesses. If you want, and I, I assume he's your top witness, former National Security Advisor John Bolton. If you want to call John Bolton and the Republicans say, well, then we're going to call Hunter Biden, are you willing to pay that price? Well, ultimately, this is a decision that the 100 senators will make, perhaps with some involvement from Chief Justice John Roberts, who's presiding over the trial. But would that what be I, a fair, what I, what that be a fair say, trade for you? Well, what I will say, Chris, is that the standard that should apply is relevance as it relates to the central allegation in this case of the president pressuring the Ukrainian government for his own personal and political gain. What I would think is relevant is the fact that in 2017, the Trump administration allocated $150 million in military aid to Ukraine, and allegedly there were no concerns uh, with corruption in Ukraine. In 2018, the same Trump administration allocated $200 million in military aid to Ukraine. It was never held up. There were never any congressional hearings about alleged corruption in Ukraine under Republican control. The president had two different calls with the Ukrainian president in April uh, on the 21st. And well, I mean, I suppose his argument would be that's when he became I assume his argument would be that's when he became aware of it. Well, the key question uh, is. What was the intervening event? Because the president had two calls, of course. He never mentioned the word corruption. In May uh, of 2019, the Department of Defense, Trump's Department of Defense, indicated in a letter to Congress that all necessary preconditions for the receipt of the aid had been met, uh, including the implementation of anti-corruption reforms by the Ukrainian government. Right. It seems that the intervening event may have been the announcement by Joe Biden that he was running for president. Okay. One final question, and that is House Speaker. Who announced he was running on April 25th, but everyone was fired and all these investigations happened. Oh, that's April 25th, 2019. But all of this stuff started in 2018 with the Ukraine. But, you know, facts. Pelosi, who's been saying for weeks that she takes no joy in the impeachment of Donald Trump. She used the words that you've used, solemn, uh, solemn, sober, serious. Here she is. This is a very serious matter, and we take it to heart in a really solemn way. Which is why even some Democrats were surprised to see the ceremony where she signed the articles of impeachment, handing out pens like it was a celebratory bill signing, and as we can see from these pictures here, all the participants look pretty happy. Doesn't that blow a hole in your narrative that the Democrats aren't enjoying uh, the, uh, the, the impeachment and the effort to remove this president? I was at that ceremony and there was no joy well, then we, uh, in we that just ceremony. Saw the, we just saw the pictures, Congressman. There was no joy in that ceremony. And from the very beginning uh, through the end, Speaker Pelosi has been clear that we are going to proceed in a very serious and solemn and sober fashion. We don't dislike this president. Uh, we work with this president on criminal justice reform. I did personally on the First Step Act. We work with this president 
to pass the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement. We work with this president to fully fund the government. But you've also been talking dislike, about impeachment, a lot of your members, since he took the oath of office. We don't dislike Donald Trump, but we do love America. We do love democracy. We do love the Constitution. And in America, no one is above the law, not even the president of the United States. George Washington, in his farewell address, said the Constitution is sacredly right. obligatory upon all. That means everyone. Congressman Jeffries, thank you. Thanks for your time today. And we'll, of course, be following the action on the Senate floor this week, which could go well into the evenings. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Chris. All right. So, so the week has arrived. The Senate trial will on. begin this Tuesday. How long hold will on. this before we put that on? OK, where Maria Bertomo's talking. I just wanted to say they're really excited to get this going because they know that at the end of the day, you know, the only way forward is to do that. The only way they can do something like this is by impeaching him. And the something like this is to take over the United States of America, to rule us rather than us rule. And that is a huge issue, a huge issue. So where do we go from here is the question. And here we have Ted Cruz talking, which is really important we hear him just for a second, because he says a few things that make you cock your head just a little bit. Take a listen impeachment trial last. Here's Senate Judiciary Chairman Lindsey Graham on this program two weeks ago. Well, I hope to have the trial over by the end of January. We'd use the Clinton model where you take the record established in the House, let the House managers appointed by Pelosi make the argument, let the president uh, make his arguments on why the two articles are flawed. And uh, then we'll decide whether or not we want witnesses. But this should be done in a couple of weeks. Joining me right now in an exclusive interview is Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, chairman of the Judiciary Subcommittee on the Constitution. Senator, it is always a pleasure to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Maria. Good morning. So this is the first time we will hear from the president, of course, the president and the White House coming out with a statement last night ahead of the trial. Would you agree that this could be as short as two weeks? What's your expectation? I think it's certainly possible that this trial could last one to two weeks. On the other hand, if the Senate makes the decision to go down the road of additional witnesses, that could extend it to six, eight weeks or even longer. So I, so I think there are really two paths here. But, but what you just noted there is important. This week is going to be the first time in a year that the president has had the opportunity to defend himself, to lay out the facts, to lay out the law, to lay out the actual substance. We've seen Months someone and is months vacuuming. And I just wanted to say someone is vacuuming behind Ted Cruz, which is really funny of a, of a one sided show trial from House Democrats where they didn't want to hear from the defense, where they shut out the White House, where they shut out the minority. The, the good news is in the Senate, what I'm confident of is we're going to have a fair trial. We're not going to give in to the kind of games that House Democrats have played. Instead, we're going to give both sides a, a, a full and fair opportunity to present their case. The House managers will have every opportunity to stand up and to present their arguments, to put forth whatever evidence they have. But for the first time, the president, the White House defense team is going to be able to walk through the facts and substance. And I think that's a very, very important development. Let's talk about your reciprocity resolution. So if you were to go down uh, the road of witnesses, you want it to be reciprocal. Tell us about that. 
Well, that's right. You know, it's, it's kind of strange how we got here. So Democrats have been having hearings, have been doing impeachment for months in, in the House. They brought in all sorts of witnesses. They blocked the minority from having any witnesses. And then as soon as we get to the Senate, the, the, the Democratic talking point is we want more witnesses. Never mind all the witnesses they called before. They want yet more. And, and they're trying to delay this. They're trying to drag this out. They want this trial to go on forever because they have a political objective of attacking the president. Um, what, what, what I've said and what I've urged the conference is, is, listen, if we go down the road of witnesses, we're not going to do what the House did. We're not going to have a, a one-sided kangaroo court. Instead, we're going to respect reciprocity. What does that mean? That means if the prosecution gets a witness, the defense gets a witness. If the prosecution gets two, the defense gets two. That means if the prosecution gets to call John Bolton, then the president gets to call Hunter Biden. And I got to tell you, the Democrats are terrified about seeing a witness like Hunter Biden testify because they don't want to hear evidence of actual corruption, of corruption, potentially of Joe Biden, corruption that occurred during the Obama administration. They blocked all those witnesses in the House. They're not going to succeed and block him in the Senate. If they want to go down the road of witnesses, that means the president enjoys the rights to due process, which means he can call witnesses and lay out his defense. Would, would that open up a whole nother can of worms? I mean, obviously, this whole focus on the president and this impeachment trial has put Hunter Biden and Joe Biden to the back seat. Uh, no one is actually talking about what went wrong there and why he accepted this money from foreign countries, leadership of foreign countries, while his father was sitting vice president. Well, Maria, you're right. And, and the Democrats desperately want to keep that topic off the news. And sadly, an awful lot of folks in the media are very compliant with that. But that, that's why I said this week the president having the opportunity to defend himself it is so important. Because I think one of the fundamental defenses that I expect to hear from the White House this week is that the president has inherent authority and, in fact, a responsibility to investigate corruption. And when you look at what happened with Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, there is at a minimum a prima facie evidence of corruption. You've got Hunter Biden getting paid $83,000 a month by Burisma, the largest natural gas company in Ukraine. $83,000 a month is a million dollars a year. Wow. Hunter Biden had zero experience in oil and gas. It's not like he was a geologist or geophysicist. He was getting that money, the obvious inference is, because his daddy was vice president. And, and Joe Biden is on video, the Council of Foreign Relations bragging that he blocked a billion dollars in foreign loans and foreign aid to Ukraine until they fired the prosecutor who was potentially investigating Burisma, the company on which Hunter Biden sat on the board. When, if the Biden family is profiting to the tunes of millions of dollars, the president is in, entirely justified saying, let's investigate and find out what happened. That's why Hunter Biden is such an important witness and why the Democrats don't want to focus on what was the evidence of actual corruption I expect to hear a lot from that from that from the White House defense team this week. You've, you've got a 51 vote threshold in terms of uh, getting that vote to, to, to hear witnesses. Do you want to hear from witnesses? And then I want to get your take on the White House's letter uh, sent last night, basically calling the articles of impeachment. Did time get away with me or what? Oh, my gosh. OK, I guess, uh, you know, having a hiatus for a couple of uh, days has caused me to have bad time management. From all of us here at Red State Talk Radio, I want to wish you a great evening and I'll see you tomorrow.